Good morning, everyone. So how do you follow that, right? It's like, so we want to welcome you to Arden first. If you are a guest here, we want you to feel right at home. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. And we believe that Jesus has an extraordinary plan for each and every one of you. Amen. This time, before we begin with our message, I want us to pray for Steve Shaw, a little update. He had a successful surgery, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Steve had cancer in his face and had to get it, uh, a lot of cancer taken out. And so anyways, let's pray for, for his recovery and for Judy. Um, also got another note this morning of someone else in our congregation, uh, a young person with cancer. So let's just pray that God will rebuke cancer and sickness and disease, okay? Let's pray together. Father... We know that you have a plan even when the pain is real. We know that you're good even when life is hard. And Father, we give you glory and we turn our attention to you. We acknowledge your goodness. Father, right now our hearts go out to Steve and Judy Shaw as as he recovers from this surgery and radiation to come. God, my heart goes out to the young person I heard about in our congregation that's been diagnosed with cancer. God, we we just want to rebuke the, the disease, the of cancer, we want to rebuke sickness in our congregation. So many in our congregation have struggled. And God, we want to pray that you would bring supernatural healing and we would see miracles in this place. We trust you and we look to you. So, Father, now as we look into your word, bless your word and help us to leave forever changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. If you'll go ahead and turn to chapter 9, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible or there's a listening guide inside your bulletin. It was uh, my family and I just got back from the beach. We had a great beach trip and it's great. People have asked me, are you guys rested? Are you guys rested? And I'm like, what do you think? We have four kids. We're not rested. We have some good memories, but we're not rested. So I love the beach, the seafood, the fresh seafood, um, the sandy shores. I love the smell of the salt water and sand castles, and burying the kids in the sand, all those fun memories. One, one memory that I'll take with me is I took Kira out a little deeper in the water, and we, we kept drifting towards the pier, drifting down the coast. And I decided, you know, we got to stay close by the family because we're going to be all the way down the coast if we let this current keep taking us down the shore. So I held on to Kira, and as long as she held on to me, she was able to resist the drift. And later on, upon reflection, I thought about that, that life, this secular current, is always taking us down shore. And as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus and our hands fixed in the Father's hands, he can help us to resist the drift. Amen. So today's message is a very special passage, the Jesus being transfigured and his appearance changing, and it reveals his deity to his disciples Um, confirms the deity that they already knew about. And it brings us a question. What about us? What what relevance does this have to us in 2018? I don't know about you, but sometimes the glow doesn't show. You ever notice that we're called to be light? We're called to shine like stars in the world. And if Jesus is inside of us, you know, Jesus told us in Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. You ever notice sometimes saints don't shine? Sometimes the glow don't show. But today, we're going to look at how to change that. What can we learn from this transfiguration? Jesus being transfigured, his light shining. What does that look like? Well, I like to use this analogy. You notice the moon 
it has no inherent light. The moon simply reflects the sun's light. In the same way, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. That's true, but we don't become the light of the world until Jesus enters into us. And the thing about the sun and the moon, the moon doesn't shine. It reflects the sun's light. So what we got to do is kind of line up in proximity to Jesus, line up in the direct alignment. And as we look to Jesus, we shine with the light of Christ. Amen. So let's read the scripture, Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 9, 28. Now it came to pass after eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, James, and John and went up to the mountain to pray. Now before we go into verse 29, the background, Jesus has revealed to his disciples about the cross. And you guys remember through the Gospels, Peter didn't like that. He said, no, Jesus, it's not good. And Jesus had to rebuke Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're mindful of the things of men, not the things of God. So the disciples were really struggling with the cross. They thought the kingdom was going to come instantaneously, and the cross was not in their grid. They they weren't thinking about Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. They thought the kingdom was going to come, so they're discouraged. So Jesus is going to encourage them here. Verse 29, and as Jesus prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold... Two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, or his exodus, which was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Now it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make Three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet, and they told no one in those days any of those things that they had seen. And God bless his word. So today I want us to talk about six truths about looking to Jesus. If you want to be more radiant in your Christian life, if you want the glow to show, if you want your light to shine, we have to look to Jesus. So the first truth is this. Number one, look to Jesus as an example of prayer. I can still remember, I was telling the Wednesday Night audience a few weeks back, that my grandmother, I was given one of my first sermons when I was 14, 15, and my grandmother asked me, are you prayed up? And I was like, what does that mean? I always thought pastors just got up and, you know, opened the Bible and started preaching. And I had no idea you're supposed to pray before you preach. No one ever told me that. So I was like, no, I'm not. So I went in my grandmother and grandfather's bedroom, which is uh, not far from the church, and prayed. And from then on, I hear her voice in my head, are you prayed up? Have you prayed before you preached? Because it's important prayer. And if you look at verse 28, it says, after eight days after these sayings. Notice he took Peter, James, and John. And these are the inner circle. These are the three that seem to go with Jesus. A lot of places the other disciples do not get to go. And I asked the first service, why, why was this? Why was it Peter, James, and John? Was Jesus playing favorites? Was it the inner circle? 
And one of the guys in the audience rightly said in the Old Testament, you have to have two to three witnesses. And this is something to realize. Jesus did pour into Peter, James, and John, but there was a reason. One of the reasons was you had established things by two or three witnesses. So with Peter, James, and John, you always had three witnesses for special miracles that the other disciples didn't get to see. So he takes Peter, James, and John, and notice throughout the Gospels, Jesus is constantly getting away to pray. Now, have you ever heard, I'm too busy to pray? I know we may have said that. I would say you're too busy not to pray. Because Jesus, think about it, he had the mission to save the whole world, and yet he always took time to pray. And I think personally and corporately as a church, we need to create a prayer culture. And this is in your listening, God. How do we create a prayer culture personally and also corporately? Well, a few things, if you're taking notes. Number one, prayer should be vertical before it's ever horizontal. Prayer should be vertical. In other words, have you ever been in a prayer service and the first things out of everyone's uh, mouth is sickness and suffering and all those things are valid. But you remember the Lord's Prayer. How does it start off? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But for those of you who are type A driven personalities, you like to get straight to the chase and we go straight to the problems. But let me remind you that God is not a cosmic slot. You don't put a prayer coin in and pull the handle down and hope that something great comes out. It's a relationship. So how do you feel if your own children or grandchildren come to you and instead of saying, I love you, I'm so good to see you, they go straight for the chase and ask you for something? Does that encourage you to want to give them something? So think about the Heavenly Father. It's a relational thing. So you've got to go vertical. So before you start with your problem, you always start with praise. So remember that. Before you start with your problem, you always start with praise. Another aspect, prayer should be a culture instead of an activity. Prayer should be a culture. So I, say, I share this with the missions uh, team. Glenda does a great job leading. And by the way, we've got a ton of mission activity going on. I encourage you to sign up for one of the eight, eight activities going on. But one thing about the missions team is we exist not to do missions for the church. We exist to inspire the church to be on mission. And it's the same thing with prayer groups. Prayer groups, their goal is not to do the praying for the rest of us. Their goal is to cover us and encourage us to be prayer warriors ourselves. It's wonderful if groups of people pray. It's even more wonderful if everybody is in a culture of prayer. And it says it like this in Thessalonians. Paul said, pray without ceasing. So here's the thing in Baptist churches, no matter what ministry, it could be the missions committee, it could be another team. We like to make things into programs. And programs can be good, but they should never be the end and of themselves. So I would encourage you, and I know the prayer, prayer ministry would amen this, let's not let one group do the praying for all of us. Let's all create a culture of prayer. Amen. And I would encourage you, by the way, if you can get up at 9 o'clock, there is a prayer group, and they would love for you to join them while we're talking about prayer. Number three, a third aspect of prayer, prayer should move us closer to God and to each other. Have you ever been in a church service where you felt more disconnected than closer to God? Um, have you ever felt sometimes that um, a service turned into a gossip session? So-and-so did what? What? So-and-so run on a ho- around who? And you're like, and it becomes gossip Issue. Listen, prayer is vertical and it's also horizontal that we, we encourage and build each other up. So my, my heart for Arden First is that when we pray, when we go to classes, it's always going to lift us up towards God and always lift one another up. Amen. So 
Jesus was an example of prayer. So being prayer is such an amazing and powerful thing. Why don't we do it more often? I think prayer, you could use an analogy of exercise. How many of you enjoy exercising? Only those of you are in the habit of doing it, right? Who raise your hands? But before you got in the habit of doing, you really didn't enjoy it. It was work. In the same way, this is advertisement for the 9 o'clock prayer group. They would encourage you, for those of you who get up early, come on and pray. Be a catalyst for the entire church. We want to create a prayer culture. And the thing about it is it's, it's hard. But you know what? Once you get to doing it and it's relational and it's vertical and it has horizontal implications, it sets a fire with the church. Amen, Kirby? Let's, let us do that. So number two, not only do we look to Jesus as an example for prayer, but notice what happened in Jesus. He was transformed through prayer. Now, we're going to talk about this whole transfiguration and what it meant. But notice, this is a phrase I never even thought about. It says, as he did what? As he prayed. The appearance of his face was altered. And his face and his robe, everything began to shine white and glistening. Now, here's the thing. You ever notice that certain Christians, it seems like they have a radiance about them. They kind of shine. You ever notice that? And you're like, that that person, they just have this, you, you can't explain it. There's just something about them that radiates light. Well, the reason for that, throughout the whole Bible, whenever God reveals himself, it's often in the context of light. When God shows up in a cloud, there's a light associated. So the beautiful thing is Jesus was transfigured. This is kind of like you get a, a picture of what Jesus was like before he came to earth. The pre-incarnate Christ. In other words, Jesus has always existed as God the Son, the eternal Son. When he came down to earth, he put on a human body. And the human body kind of hid the light. But there are times when the light was shown. It kind of gives you a glimpse behind the veil. If you study Matthew and Mark's account, Matthew says it like this. His face shone like the sun and became white as the light. So imagine the noon sun in its peak of brilliance and splendor when Jesus started praying and all of a sudden his glory started shining through. And this was evidence of his deity. He is God the Son. In Mark 9, by the way, these verses on your listening guide, it says that his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow. And he says, as such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. I don't know if he had a bad, Mark had a bad experience with a dry cleaner. But he said, no one can make it this white, not even someone that bleaches clothes. So think about it. Jesus' glory and his splendor. Now, here's an encouragement to all of us. Did you know one day in glory, there's a glorified body awaiting you? And it's going to be like Christ's body. So for those of you who walk around backs hurting, arthritis in the knees... Your voice quivers, your hands shake. On the other side of glory is a glorious body waiting for you. The Bible calls it your glorified body. So if you get up in the morning and look in the mirror and it's not what it used to be, there's good news. There's glory on the other side. So as I like to joke, it's not your best life now, it's your best life later. You've never had a glorified body. So when Jesus prayed, his face became changed. His clothing lit up with beaming, brilliant, radiant glory of God himself. But there's a practical application. Whenever you come to the altar, your face is altered. Whenever you come to Jesus in prayer, 
you begin to be transformed yourself. Now, we're not carrying around the splendor of Jesus as he did because he was sinless. But Jesus is inside of us. And Paul said it like this. We have this, this glory in jars of clay. And how do you explain the glory of God? How do, you, how do you paint a picture of it? The best description I've ever heard is the glory of God is the physical manifestation of all his attributes. So God is love. But what does love look like? God is kind and he's just. And all the attributes mentioned in all 66 of the books of the Bible the glory of God is when he physically manifests it where you can see it in visible, tangible terms. So here's the thing. Jesus said, by this people, you know, you're my disciples. By what? How you love each other. Did you know that treating someone with kindness is letting the glory of God shine through you? Did you know that opening your home to someone and um, sharing a meal with them? Someone in the first service shared about how someone invited them over their home after church and spent like several hours with them, just pouring into their lives. This young couple, an older couple, invited them over. And that's like God radiating through them the love of Christ. You will know you're my disciples, Jesus said, by how you love one another. So how do we let the light of Christ shine through us? Well, I'm glad you're asking that question. A few things. This is in your listening guide. Number one, this is just practical tips. Let Christ shine through you as you allow him to live his life through you. The scripture I mentioned at the beginning of the message, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Now, we think of Jesus as the light of the world, and he is, but Jesus pointed to us and said, you're the light of the world. But remember, we're just like big balls of dirt, like the moon, and Jesus is inside of us. But if we align and we become Christ-centered, all of a sudden the glow begins to show. Number two, remember that you can't whine and shine at the same time. You ever know and see certain saints? It seems like they've been baptized in lemon juice. They walk around complaining and griping. And I'm one of them too sometimes. And I have to apologize when I do it because I'm reminded of the scripture Paul said in Philippians 2. He says, do all things without complaining or disputing. Now, I like that verse, but the word all, like never whine, never complain, that's hard. But remember... When the saints don't shine, it's because you begin to whine. You can't whine and shine at the same time. So look at the person next to you and say, you can't whine and shine at the same time. God wants your glow to show, so let him shine through you. So, I didn't know I'm a rhyme. I'm a poet and didn't even know it. Rhyme all the time. I just can't help it. So what is it, and this is audience participation of this question, what does it mean to become more like Jesus? What's the old Bible word we use? Sanctification, right? And that simply means becoming more and more like Jesus. And in your listening guide, if you look at 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, when we're Christ-centered, we choose to allow Him to live His life through us, all of a sudden, we begin to shine, and God begins to transform us. As Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of his knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. 
So God's glory is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. But here's the question. Jesus is now at the right hand of God. He's invisible right now to us down here on earth. So how is the glory of God going to shine in the face of Christ if Christ is in heaven? Through you. You are his body. That's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. As long as you let me live through you, you'll shine. Number three, someone say, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and reflect upon his sufferings upon your behalf. Look at verse 30. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. Now, why Moses and Elijah? Why why not David? Why not the man after God's honor? Why would Moses and Elijah be there? I'm just imagining this scene. If I was Peter or John or James and I see like Jesus lit up like sparkling diamonds. That's the idea. He's shimmering like a diamond when the sun hits it. I mean, he's shining and radiating. And all of a sudden you get this picture into heaven and there's Moses and Elijah. Well, Moses was the great lawgiver. He represents the Old Testament law. And by the way, Jesus was the fulfillment of all the righteous requirements of the law. What we couldn't do, Jesus did for us. So Moses represents the law. And Moses said in the book of Deuteronomy, another prophet like me will come. By the way, here's that prophet, Jesus. So Moses told about Jesus. And how did Moses die? Well, the scripture tells us he, he died and God buried him himself. So it's interesting how his death was very supernatural, how God buried Moses. Now, Elijah, who does Elijah represent? If Mo, Moses represents the, the law, Elijah represents the prophets. And what did the prophets predict? The coming Messiah. So Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And Jesus was the coming Messiah prophesied by all of the prophets, represented by Elijah, the first great prophet. And you remember Elijah? How did he die? He didn't. (laughs) So here's Moses and Elijah, and they're talking to Jesus. And they're talking about what? What's the subject matter? They're talking about his death. And that, that really wigs Peter out. Because Peter doesn't want Jesus to die. He wants the kingdom to come. He wants to get out of Roman bondage, Roman occupation. So the cross didn't make sense. And Moses and Elijah are telling Jesus, listen, we know you're going to have to go to the cross. We, we predicted it. We told about it. But this is the only way. And I, I can imagine they encouraged him. They said, you are the fulfillment, which Jesus obviously knew being God. But they encouraged him and they spoke comfort and peace to him. Because through Jesus, the whole world could have the opportunity to be saved. So, notice in verse 31, I want you to read verse 31. It said that Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease or his exodus, could also be translated, which he was about to accomplish. So, what does exodus remind you of? Moses, right? And what did Moses do in the Exodus? He led the children of Israel out of slavery. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's leading us in Exodus out of sinfulness and captivity so that we can be free. And if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. 1 Peter 2.24 says it like this. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds You have been healed. So Jesus died in your place so that one day he could take you to his place. Jesus wore your sin 
so that one day you could wear his righteousness. Jesus loved you to death, his death, so that one day he could love you to life even when you were spiritually dead. Amen. Number four, look to Jesus and don't allow earthly slumber to keep you from heavenly splendor. Look to Jesus and don't allow earthly slumber to keep you heavenly splendor. I was reflecting recently about my pre-married days. And my wife and I, we just celebrated nine years of being married. And when I was single, I, I was in college, seminary, didn't have a lot of money, but I was very friendly. So I would ask people, hey, uh, you, you have a home where? Can I crash? Can I couch surf? As typical college students do. So I would travel all over the place and just crash on people's couches, wherever, as a lot of college students do. So one of my friends had a home in San Francisco. There was another one that had a parsonage in Los Angeles. So we were like, okay, me and two seminary friends said, listen, let's fly into San Francisco. We'll get a rental car, drive down, I think it's Highway 1, Pacific Coastal Highway, and let's just see the sights and sounds of California. So we flew into San Francisco, explored the city, started driving south down the coast. So when we got to Los Angeles, I was so tired. I said, guys, you guys go ahead and explore. They were going to go to Hollywood, the Star Walk, where it has all the, the, the famous you know, stars and where people lived and where all the celebrities hang out. And to this day, I kind of regret I slept through Hollywood. I, I stayed. I, like, you guys go. I'm going to crash. I was so tired. I miss the splendor of the stars. And as I look at this scripture, they're seeing on a completely different level, an infinite higher level, Jesus and his glory showing, and they're sleeping through at least the beginning of it. Don't slumber while Jesus is showing his splendor. In churches, I wonder how many of us commit the same mistake. God is moving, he's working, but we're over here and we're in our spiritual slumber. We're in the biblical land of Nod and we're just hanging out and God is doing miracles and wonders and signs and, and we're just in slumber. Notice the disciples did not see the glorious appearance until they woke up and the same is true of us as saints god is moving and working all around us but let us not slumber let us not get comfortable where we're at because church until the last person has accepted jesus there's still work to be done amen number five someone say look to jesus this is one of my favorite points of this message look to jesus and don't get distracted by other dazzling disciples. So Peter gets called up and he gets enraptured in this moment. And he says, Jesus, it's so good for us to be here. Let's build three shelters, one for you and one for Moses. And how about Elijah over here? And by the way, the timing was impeccable because this in the Jewish calendar, this happens during the Feast of Tabernacles where they would set up these shelters. This happens at the exact same time. So Peter was thinking... You know, we're here on the mountaintop, but in Jerusalem, they're hanging out in these little shelters, these little, you know, like booths. They're made of leafy branches. So why don't we have our own tabernacle celebration? As Warren Wearsby once said, he said this was the greatest Bible conference ever had. I mean, imagine Moses, Elijah and Jesus. <laughs> imagine the three greatest preachers. And you're like, imagine the conference that was going on on that mountaintop. Talk about hallelujah, glory came down. So Peter's like, let's capture this moment. But all of a sudden, this cloud appears. And for the Jewish person listening to this, the Jewish person that would be present 
it would remind them of the Old Testament, how God showed up in a cloud that was lit up. You remember the pillar of fire and the cloud, and whenever they dedicated the temple, the cloud would come down, and the voice of God, and they'd hear thunders and lightnings and the cloud. And so God, who is spirit, and to a physical person, he's invisible because we're not in a spiritual body yet, but God, who is invisible, shows himself in tangible form in light, whenever you see light. So here you have this light, and Jesus is lit up. The Bible says his face is shining like the sun. And he's, his, spark, his clothes are radiant and sparkling. As I mentioned, it's like a diamond being hit by the light. Sparkle and glitter. And it's just so bright. And there you have heaven kind of open up. And Moses and Elijah. And Peter's like, hey, let's, let's camp out here forever. Let's capture this moment. And the voice of God rebukes Peter. By the way, this is not the first time Peter's been rebuked. He's been rebuked by God the Son. Now he's being rebuked by God the Father. And God still uses Peter. This, this encourages me. So if you've ever been rebuked by God, done something, said something you shouldn't, always remember all you have to do is ask for forgiveness. Jesus was rebuked by two members of the Trinity, and God still used them to build the church. Somebody say amen to that. So this voice comes out and says, this is my son. Listen to him. And it reminds me of the old hymn, turn your eyes to Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So, here's the takeaway before we go on to the last point. There's a lot of people you guys enjoy and listen to. And a lot of you love the Beth Moores and the David Jeremiah's and they're great. We need to learn from them. But never get fixated on a disciple, a dazzling disciple. Never fall in love with someone to the extent that if they mess up, you're going to get your faith is going to flounder. Turn your eyes to Jesus because he'll never let you down. Others will leave you. Christ never will. Others will say things that may not be completely true. Jesus never will. So keep your eyes on him. Finally, number six, look to Jesus and discover that when all you have is him, you have everything. Look at verse 36. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet, and no one told them, told no one in any of those days what they had seen. Anybody ever heard of Florence Chadwick? This is before my time, but in July, on July 4th, 1952, this is 4th of July, she attempted to become the first woman to swim from Catalina Island to California coast. It was over 20 miles. So she had swam the English Channel back and forth, became the first woman to do that. So Florence decided, I'm going to be the first woman to swim from Catalina Island off the coast all the way to the coast of California, over 20 miles. So on that 4th of July, cold, foggy morning off the coast of California, she jumped in and began to swim. And she swam and swam and swam. Hours had passed and hours had passed. She was flanked by two ships on both sides of her. Because the shark population was so bad, they had to shoot off some of the sharks from getting after her. So this lady swam and swam. She had been in the water for 15 hours. And she was about to give up. But her mother was on one of the boats and said, Catalina, keep going. You're so close, honey. Keep going. And according to reports, she swam for one more hour. And then she said, I can't go any further. Get me out. So they got her out. And all of a sudden, when they went through the fog it was such dense fog 
she realized she was only less than a mile from the coast, one mile away. And she was just in such tears. She said, if I ever get a chance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to beat the record. I'm going to make it. So two months later, this is a picture on here. Two months later, she swam. It was a foggy morning as well. She kept swimming and swimming and swimming. And she beat a record. And she swam to the very end. And she told news reporters, the first time, I'm not making excuses, I would have made it had it not been for the fog. I could not see the shoreline. So what I did the second time is I got a mental image of the shoreline. And as I entered into the fog and couldn't see, in my mind's eye, I could see the shoreline. And that's how I made it through. Friends, we live in a world that's very foggy. If you turn on the television, if you listen to the news, there's so much fog in this world. But today, I want you to know, there's a shoreline. And as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, as long as you keep your eyes fixated on his glory, his splendor, the things of the world, they're not going to fog up your vision. The things of this world aren't going to discourage you long term. Today, we talked about looking to Jesus as an example of prayer. We talked about looking to Jesus to be transformed through prayer. Look to Jesus and look at his sufferings on our behalf that He took our sin so that we could take his righteousness. Look to Jesus and don't allow earthly slumber to keep you from heavenly splendor. When God's moving, let us be alert and awake. Look to Jesus and don't get distracted by other dazzling disciples. Moses and Elijah are great. Some of these heroes we look up on TV are great, but don't get distracted. Jesus is the center of it all. And look to Jesus and discover that when all you have is him, you have what? Everything. Summarize this into one sentence. Look to Jesus and behold your everything. Let us pray. Father, I'm amazed at your word and the profoundness and yet simplicity that it's so easy to get distracted by location, by spiritual experiences on the mountaintop that we want to stay in there forever. And all of a sudden we hear the voice of the Heavenly Father saying, This is my son. Listen to him. Look to Jesus. Listen to him. As we continue to pray with no one looking around, how many would say, Timothy, I need to keep my eyes refocused. The fog is out there, but I want to make a decision today that starting now, I'm going to stay focused on Christ. That's you. Raise your hand. I'm raising my hands with you. Father, you see our hands. Forgive us where attention has not been centered on Christ. We want the glow to show. We don't want to be saints that don't shine. So, Father, forgive us. As the believers continue to pray, if there's one here today that you've never made the decision to accept Jesus as Lord, Savior, as the star of your universe, if you would just reach out to him, say this prayer, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you were buried and you rose to new life on the third day so that I could have a relationship with you. So, Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. I turn from them. I pray that you would enter into my life. I make you my Lord, my Savior. I choose to follow you starting today. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen.